Hi, folks. This is the Cyberways Podcast, and we translate our academic knowledge about information security into stuff that you can use as a security professional. Uh, we think it's a unique mission. We think you'll like it. I'm Tom Stafford. I'm Craig Van Slyke. Tom and I are your hosts on your journey to knowledge. Cyberways is brought to you by the Louisiana Tech College of Business's Center for Information Assurance. The center offers undergraduate and graduate certificate programs in cybersecurity and sponsors academic research focused on behavioral aspects of cybersecurity and information privacy. So we have a different sort of an episode today, uh, as Tom will describe in just a minute. Uh, Tom is interviewing his mother, who recently fell victim to an attack, and he wanted uh, to see if she could share her experiences with us so that you, our listeners, can better understand what it feels like from the user's perspective. And so they had a very nice conversation. I'm going to insert some commentary in the middle of it, and we hope you'll find this useful. Welcome, folks, again to another episode of Cyberways, a podcast production of the Louisiana Tech College of Business Center for Information Assurance, supported by the Computer Information Systems Department with additional support by Dean Chris Martin's Just Business Grant. This morning, a special episode. I have with me today my mother, Elizabeth McCommon uh, from Blacksburg, Virginia. She recently suffered a security exploit that I thought would be an interesting story to, uh, to tell about what to avoid and what to do if you happen to get caught in one. Welcome to the podcast, Mother. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, as I discussed with you before, what we'd really like to do is understand from your point of view how it was you came to be exploited. How did, when did you realize you had a problem? What, what was the, uh, the indication that something had to be done? I think the main um, difficulty is that I didn't have a phone and take a picture of that screen because the screen that I saw saying your computer is locked up was um, very convincing, and I can't even explain it to you except it had a big red border around it saying, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Note the way that the attacker used fear to try to induce behavior on the part of the victim. Sometimes in cybersecurity, we use fear appeals to try to get people to take protective action, but here a fear appeal is used to kind of turn the tables and actually bring about risky behavior. Did they ask that, you to download software or did they ask you to make a payment? No, they just asked me to click on, here's how you get help. Uh, and I had a long conversation with some tech person in India or somewhere. And um, he said, we can, we can take care of this. We can figure it out. We can scan your computer and figure out where the um, intrusion was. And I saw him as he went through my computer and looked for all of these um, uh, scams, and he said, oh, yes, it's a Russian hacker. I have to admit that it's pretty clever to invoke Russian hacker in this instance, given what's happening right now in Ukraine. You know, there's a heightened awareness of Russians doing bad acts, and they're in the news, and so this kind of ramps up the fear appeal. And... uh, he said, we, we can get this fixed for you, but it will cost. And I thought, God, i got to get it fixed. <laughs> so I, I agreed to um, to uh, give them, I, I told them I can't give you my um, credit card. I don't do that, but I could give you a check. So I gave them the routing number on my check. And then 
I think maybe that night you said, no, 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 <laughs> go close your bank account right now, which is what I did the first thing the next morning. But I'm not much help in explaining how I got hooked into this because it was so convincing. So this was a pretty convincing appeal. Uh, you probably have noticed that these and other phishing attempts and online scams are becoming much more convincing. Uh, gone are the days when we could just recognize poor language and that sort of thing as a marker of these sorts of attacks. Uh, my mother-in-law recently came to me and asked me to look at an email that she thought was from American Express. The email looked authentic, uh, but my radar was up, so we called Amex using the number on the back of her card, not the number provided in the email. And it turned out, of course, that Amex had nothing to do with the email. And in fact, they knew about this sort of uh, phishing attempt that had been going on. And they told me that they're becoming much more common. So we really, really need to have our awareness heightened at this point. And the person that I talked to was so sympathetic and so kind. Oh, yes, we can, we can help you with this. So they were very, um, they were very sophisticated, and now they talk to me. There sure is a lot of social engineering going on here. We're wired to return kindness with kindness. So the scammer being very kind here triggered that sort of a response and made her more cooperative. Um, what else can I tell you about this? Part of the story is the the realism of the uh, the purported help. They're getting more sophisticated, the um, um, the, the bad actors, uh, and they seem, I think they seem to have more success, or maybe they feel they have more success when they pretend to be helping you uh, yeah. in order to gain access to your computer and get a payment. And right. you know, the, the real question, and, and I don't think we ever really figured this out between you and I and uh, and Matilda, my, my sister, who also uh, consults with you on security matters, um, as to what it was that actually put the software on your computer that popped up that screen that you responded to. Um, was it a, we, we talked about it possibly being a, a, a PayPal spoof or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Oh yes. There was a previous um, a hacking attempt said um, your PayPal account um, is messed up and you're going to owe something. And I, I, I knew that was not right because I don't have a PayPal account. So I ignored that. But I think that was the beginning of it. I'm trying to remember, didn't you click on a link from that message somewhere to tell them, no, this wasn't right? I may have, but I don't remember. Yeah, that's that's the, the vector I would typically expect it to take. Let's explore the uh, the, the remediation process because you're, you're a Macintosh user, and that's, that's an important point for the audience. Many of them use Windows, and many of them share with me my understanding of Mac, which is that it's a generally safer environment to operate in with certain limitations. The relative security of a Mac is a blessing and a curse. Of course, Tom knows better, but many Mac users have a bit of a false sense of security, thinking that they are just immune from all of these attacks, when in fact, it doesn't matter what technology you're using if you fall victim to a phishing attack. But when your Mac gets attacked, You've got to restore it from uh, backup. It's it's um, an application called Time Machine. And um, you were telling me that you had a neighbor who was an engineer who helped you achieve that. Could you walk us through how you realized you had an exploit and needed to reformat the computer? 
it's so important for those of us who are familiar with cybersecurity to help our friends and family who might be a little less aware of what some of the potential threat vectors are. It's really good that uh, that Elizabeth had Tom and had her neighbors who could help her out. Um, everyone's not that fortunate. But we have a bit of a responsibility to help educate uh, our friends and family and when they have problems, to try to help them resolve the problems in the least harmful way. That's the role we serve as cybersecurity professionals. Um, well, kind of a leading question. I told you I had to reformat the computer, didn't I? Well, I mean, I knew something was wrong as soon as I talked to you and said that, and you said, go close your um, bank account. Was that difficult to do? No, no, they were very helpful. They probably get a lot of that, I'm guessing. Yeah. Probably was. They were very kind, very helpful. And um, they, they, they walked me through leave a certain amount of money in your old account to cover the checks that haven't cleared. Unfortunately, several were very late clearing their checks and they balanced. Oh, no. The new. Well, it's all right. I talked to them and um, two of them had, had no problem with that. Mm-hmm. They helped me. Yeah. So you had to basically order new checks and get a new account number, yep. new debit card, yep. and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I think really the only thing that you can do, and unless you want to leave the old account open for potential access, because I think the problem was they already had your routing number and account number, and they could pretend to be you. Right. And yes. <laughs> yeah, well, this this happened to me when I when I moved down here to Louisiana. I used my debit card at a gas pump, not thinking much about it. It was a thing back then, and I was in Tunica, Mississippi. And um, by the time I got down here, I noticed I was getting a lot of hits of transactions from the Walmart in Walls and Tunica. Walls is the town right before Tunica. And I realized my account number had been skimmed at the gas pump. Uh, I put a reader on the pump and they were using my card to charge up small transactions um, up to a limit where they require the personal identification number, which they didn't have. They, They weren't able to capture that. Um, it, it ran up to about $4,000 worth of exploits. Good night. Yeah, the bank uh, took it on to Walmart because Walmart, since it was a chipped card, one of these RFID chips, it was not supposed to permit that transaction without the personal ID number. And Walmart had to eat $4,000. I, I got it refunded to me. Well, that's not any different ways people try to exploit you. Now, a gas, a gas pump skimmer, that's pretty basic. Everybody knows walk inside the store and use the... Uh, the debit terminal right by the register because a, a bad actor can't install a skimmer on it without being seen. But online is a different thing. Um, I'll share with you an experience I had uh, overnight. I saw in my my AOL mail because we're both AOL users, I should say, for the audience. We use America Online. Um, it's a shared account. Uh, I like it because it's a personal email not affiliated with the university. If I have personal business, I have to transact. I use my own personal account. But anyway, I get more exploit attempts on AOL as any, uh, let's call it, civilian internet service would be subject to. Uh, universities and businesses have much more stringent screening. And it was a, a PayPal message like you got saying, confirming your transaction like yours. And it said, we have placed an order for $352 worth of Bitcoin. I don't do Bitcoin. Uh I don't place orders with PayPal for anything but my eBay transactions. Like a fool, I opened the email message to see what the details were. I didn't follow any links. But even sometimes opening the message 
is risky because if you're on something like a computer that can run scripts, just displaying the pictures in the email message could load a script into the memory of your computer, which could then install bad software and lead to an exploit. That's not as routine as the ones that try to trick you into clicking a link, which is a little easier for the hacker because then they bring you right into their their server-side resources. But I closed it down. I was on the telephone looking at the email and I closed it down and rebooted my phone on general principle. But these exploits come every day. You were telling me the other day you saw something that looked real official, but wasn't. For me, well, I think it was. Well, I got an email from AOL saying um, that my mailbox account failed and 13 emails, uh, incoming emails had been returned. The synchronization was unsuccessful because the mailbox could not be validated. Well, I knew enough not to do anything with that email. I have a phone uh, number for AOL and I called them and they said it's scam. Put it in the spam folder. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, that you told me about that particular anecdote because it, it illustrates one of the other exploits. Uh, the first exploit, the one that you had to reformat your computer from, was ransomware. They locked yeah. the computer up. You had to. You, you had your engineering friend basically reload it from your time machine backup, uh, which is a Mac. No, but he had to. He had to clear the backup too. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, he had to do both because the backup had some malware in it or some whatever, some bad messages in it. Um, and he had to he had to swipe not only my computer, but the backup, too. My goodness. Yeah. yeah that's, um, I, I guess, an important point. You shouldn't rely on your backup being uh, safe from right. uh, ransomware because your backup is making copies of whatever's on your computer. And if your computer is exploited, it's making a copy of an exploited computer. Think about how confusing this is for a layperson. We tell them to keep everything backed up, then the backup turns out to be bad. This sort of thing is really frustrating for a lot of users who don't really have a sophisticated understanding of what all the threats and risks are. Um, but back to the uh, the the AOL um, can't open your inbox thing. They're they're trying. That's an exploit where they try to trick you into giving your account credentials, your email address and your password. And once they have that, they can uh, start sending spam under your address, which is something that uh, Eastern block hackers like to do a lot. They don't like to be able to tr be traced back to their own servers. They like to compromise other people's computers. So when well, this, all this, go ahead. I'm going to say this is the first time in 20 some 30 years that a hack like this has been successful. And it's because that first email with red all around it saying, your computer is locked up. You need help. It was so, it was so effective. They, they rely on fear. Um, it, it's well, when I talked to another um, engineer friend of mine, he, I had tried to turn the computer off and then turn it back on and the message was still there. And he said, next time, unplug it from the wall. And call me. <laughs> uh -huh. So that that's. Uh, do you think that would have helped if I had unplugged the computer and, and had to? It. Um, uh huh. It may have. That is the last time I had to deal with a ransomware exploit. It was. Uh, oh, this is back in Memphis, and a, a Windows PC got exploited. And first thing I did was. Uh, 
I rebooted into Windows safe mode with the network drivers disconnected. So it rebooted without network connection. And, and that's when I, I ran my malware sweep and got rid of the software. But yeah, if you're connected to the internet and you try to reboot, it's just going to maintain its connection to the bad actor's servers. And yeah. so, yeah, now we know what to do next time. First of all, don't, don't open suspicious messages, make the phone call instead. And I like that particular solution because that's what I do. I, I yeah. When I'm yeah. suspicious of the uh, the email. This is a pretty simple bit of advice for less knowledgeable users, and it's something they can remember. When you're advising users, keep in mind that advice that's too complicated is it's likely to be forgotten. Um, so if you make it overly complicated, it probably won't do much good. Uh, one of Tom's favorites is don't click on, on links. And I think that's a great bit of advice. It's uh, something very simple, very actionable. You don't have to really know how to look at an email header or any of that kind of thing to apply it. It's just a nice, simple rule. A few simple rules can be much more helpful than a long, complicated set that might be more comprehensive but are more likely to be forgotten with kind of the attitude of I'm never going to, going to remember all of this, so I'm not going to remember any of it. Remember, too much comprehensiveness, too much complexity may be a mistake. And secondly, unplug from your, your network uh, source if you suspect an attack before you do anything else, because that'll prevent the attack from getting any worse or for them from being able to access your computer, given that the attack was designed to give them that access. Yeah. Well, they were very clever. Yeah. Well, that's that's the challenge we face. The, uh, the people out there doing this are doing it for a living. Um, I heard a guy who used to be an ex-CIA uh, analyst and was a, a consultant with KPMG. And he said, this is the thing, you know, when the Soviet Union closed down, uh, about a third of their economy was the uh, military industrial sector. And a lot of those people were spies for a living. They had nothing to do except turn to crime. So they've got a big organized crime problem in the Eastern Bloc there. All these former KGB are trying to figure out clever ways to compromise our computers and make us give them bitcoins. And, there we go, scary world. Well, always call a son or an engineer friend if you have a question. Yes. I don't do. don't try to solve it yourself if you're old like me. Yes. This is great advice. If something seems off at all, check with a more knowledgeable friend or relative. They may help you avoid a lot of trouble. Well, listen, thank you for sharing that experience with us. This will help a lot of people from having to experience the same thing. I mean, even though it was a painful thing to get through, your experience is a benefit to the audience, and I appreciate that. Um, for the well, audience, let me ask you this question because when he said you can um, give us your credit card number, and I thought, uh uh, I'll give you a check. Yeah. That would take, that would take more time. Yes. And it did, and they had not. Tried to do anything by nine o'clock the next morning. Right, because there's a there's a clearance process, and it was probably from a foreign uh, bank anyway. Yeah. So at least a one day clearance, if not two. They call it the float in the banking industry, but it's a real thing in international uh, finance. You have to wait for these transactions to cross international borders. And I'm glad you did that. Uh, credit cards are instantly fungible, and yeah. uh, might as well close the credit card the moment you do that. Well, I, I don't misuse my credit card. Yes. Yeah. It's not been hacked yet. <laughs> well, 
Well, and I appreciate all of your help um, and all of the help of um, my engineer friends who live in, here in Blacksburg who are eager to try to offset this kind of interaction for us. It's a brave new world on the Internet, I'll tell you. Yeah. So for the audience, this has been Cyberways. Cyberways is a podcast production of the Computer Information Systems Department of the Louisiana Tech College of Business. Uh, courtesy of the DHS NSA Certified Center for Information Assurance with support from Dean Chris Martin's Just Business Grant. Find this podcast wherever podcasts are served and join us next time for another interesting episode. And it is important to say that the Cyberways podcast is funded through the Just Business Grant Program of the Louisiana Tech College of Business, and uh, we're grateful for that. So join us next time on the Cyberways podcast, which is available on all major podcast platforms. We want you to subscribe or follow or whatever button your favorite podcast app has. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.